0: You can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Good evening. It's good to be with you this evening. I told someone recently that I don't think I've ever preached here. I don't know why that is. It's just, I guess, the way that it's worked out. But uh, it's good to be here with you and uh, to see your faces and your familiar faces. People that, many of whom I have interacted with at one level or another over the years. And I appreciate you as brothers and sisters in Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 is speaks to practical Christian living after it discusses in earlier chapters, it discusses uh, individual personal life and then it moves into church life in chapter 4 and then starts chapter 5 with therefore be imitators of God as dear children. And so then it talks about really practical aspects of of what it means to be a Christian. I'm going to start reading at verse 14. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And Do not be drunk with wine wherein is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You might think I'm going to look at the time issue which a lot of us face when it comes to usage of electronic technology, but that's not what I want to pull out of this passage. What I want to pull out of this passage is wake up. Are you awake to the way that electronic technology affects you as a person? And if you do wake up, are you going to have light to see? Christ will give you light. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understanding what... Oh, sorry, verse 15. See, then she walked circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. A biblical fool is a person who knows what to do and doesn't do it. So if you know what you ought to do and you don't do it, the Bible says that you're a fool. Don't be a fool. Walk as a wise man. What is a wise man? Therefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Do you know what God's will is for your life? Do you know how God would have you to handle each situation that you face in life? Do you know how God would have you to handle the electronic technology that you have at your capacity? Do not be unwise. Be wise. Why did I include verse 18 about alcohol? We don't have a bunch of drunks in our congregations. You know what alcohol is? It's a mind-altering substance. This is the verse you go to if somebody asks you if the Bible says the drugs are okay. You go and you say they're not okay because the Bible tells us not to allow our minds to be altered by mind-altering substances. There's only one mind-altering substance that God wants you to experience. That's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is a mind-altering substance. Or maybe it's a mind-altering person. Philippians chapter 2 calls it the mind of Christ. I have a, as, as a person... One of my interest is to understand how the things that we interact with in life affect us and I share with you tonight not because I am an expert on electronic technology but because I have an interest in how this technology is affecting us I've been studying that for some time and I'm sharing with you from that perspective not so much as how it operates but the things that are happening to us as we take in um, information from electronic media. I am not an anti-internet fanatic. I use internet, I use a smartphone, and I have seen both the positive and the negative aspects of that in, in my usage. And so I share with you from that perspective as well because I have a concern that we recognize that God wants us to live and fulfill His purpose in our generation. And in our generation, there is the internet. And I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is sufficient for me to live in victory in an age when the world has internet and I can live in victory and fulfill God's will and face, come face to face with the world and that the power of Christ can defeat the power of this world in my life. I believe that. And I hope you believe that too. I have a quote from John Adams just soon after the Constitution was established. I'd like to begin with. We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions. Actually, I'm going to stop and I'm going to back up and I'm going to say something else. I don't know what you're expecting tonight, but I'm going to dump a bunch of information on you fast. As fast as I can, it still will take me 40 minutes probably. So I'm sorry about the time, but I think it's information that you need to be aware of if you're not aware of it. If you are aware of it, praise the Lord. I'm glad you are but if you're not aware of it, I think it's information that you need. And so I'm gonna be giving you information fast. I'm gonna try to remember to give you the opportunity to ask questions at the end if you want to. So anyway, quote from John Adams. We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions, unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution is designed only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for any other. There's something we need to understand from that quote. That unless there is something happening inside of a person, of an individual that is morally guiding them and relating and and giving them a relationship between themselves, the individual, and the law, the law will actually have no ability to govern or direct them. It will have no ability to fulfill what is put in place to do. So our Constitution, unless there is a moral people in our country, our Constitution will do no good. And we can see, if we look around us, we're, we're seeing the, the point in history, one of the points in history, when the moral and religious fabric of our country is, is falling apart and the Constitution is doing no good, and they're having to enact more and more and more laws to try to bring about, um, to try to stop some of the things that are happening. And in fact, some of the secular uh, people that I got information from for this talk were, are considering these subjects in relation to regulation to put into the Constitution to help control the effect of technology on the people of the United States. And so they're attempting to do what John Adams said it was unable, it would be unable to do. Unfortunately, I'm afraid that many people in conservative Anabaptist churches look at church standards as if they had the capacity to do what John Adams said the Constitution could not do. They think that if they're inside the church standard, that they're okay. And they think that if the church standard doesn't say they can't, that they're okay. Do you think that the church standard will keep you on the straight and narrow? A church standard can never be more than a reference point on which a morally guided people are directed to higher ground in following Jesus. A church standard can never be more than a beginning point. As soon as a church standard becomes an ending point, it loses what it is meant In place to accomplish. The Christian life is not founded on a written standard of living. It's not founded on a code of ethics. Simply fulfilling a code of ethics is not the Christian life. The Christian life is founded on a life that's directed by a voluntary choice to discipline oneself to follow Jesus if you want a reference for that, it's Luke chapter 14, verses 25 and 35. I'm not going to read that, but I may come back to it. There's three things I want to point out. One of them is following Jesus. Jesus will never drive or chase you. He will never force you to do what you ought to do. He invites you to do what you ought to do. He leads you. He will lead you towards doing what you ought to do, but He will never force you to do what you ought to do. What does that mean? That means that you have a voluntary choice to make about whether you will follow Him or not. And that reference that I just gave you talks about whether you will take up your cross. If you're going to follow Jesus, you'll take up your cross and follow Him. That's a choice that you have to make. You have to take up the, the cross and follow Jesus if you're going to be His disciple. The other thing is personal discipline. If you're going to choose something, you're going to choose against some other things. That's what discipline is. Discipline is choosing one thing to the exclusion of another thing. So if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to live a disciplined life. A life that puts aside the things that don't help you to follow Him. I want to look at one more thing before we dive into the subject for the evening. So the Bible refers to the church as a flock of sheep. It refers to Jesus as the chief shepherd and the one that we follow voluntarily. The word pastor comes from the Latin word shepherd. And so the first pastors in the early church were under shepherds, men who the congregations were to follow, the people were to follow. Second um, Timothy 2, 2, I believe, talks. Paul talks about that relationship where... Um, there's four generations of people in that verse, of people that are to be following other people. When we think about the flock, what, how do you think about, in your mind, how do you think about the flock actually functioning? So it's nice to have this picture in your mind of, of this flock up on a hill, you know, and they're grazing the green grass, and the shepherd's there, and they're kind of grouped around him, and, and that's a pretty picture, but how do you get the, how do you think that the flock is going to actually function to go from one pasture to another pasture? How are they going to get from the place where they are that's getting eaten down up to the higher ground? Well, what happens is that the shepherd knows his sheep and he calls the sheep. And when they, he calls them, they know him and they call him by name. He calls them by name and they follow him. And the path that goes up to that other pasture, that greener pasture, it might not be a, a nice, soft, easy path. It might be a rough, steep, and rocky path. There might be things along the way that could cause harm to you, to the individual sheep. There might be bramble bushes to get stuck in. That's the kind of world we live in. And Jesus says, Come and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Walk the path that I walked. The Bible also tells us that we're to speak to one another, we're to encourage one another, we're to engage with one another in a relationship. Because you see, I have sheep. I have a few sheep. And where one sheep goes, other sheep go. And if the sheep don't like the shepherd, you can bet they'll be going the other direction. And you can't chase them. You can't drive them. You better figure out how to entice them. You better figure out how to win them. What kind of a relationship do you have with your shepherds? What kind of relationship shepherds do you have with your sheep? Are you working on those relationships? And the things I'm going to talk about tonight directly influence the way that we build relationships. And so they're vital to how we operate as churches. And I need this stuff every bit as much as you do, so don't think I'm just preaching at you. Part of my study is to understand for myself and know for myself. The first thing that I want to talk about tonight is the, the effect of fame. So what does it mean to be famous? Well, it means to be known by people who don't know you. And the more people that know you that you don't know, the more famous you are. In, t- in times past, there was only a handful of people that were famous. They were the people who could do some amazing thing or had done some amazing thing or had some amazing ability. Those were the famous people in the past. But it's not that way anymore. Ava was a 14-year-old TikTok star who lived in Florida. An 18-year-old man from Maryland had become obsessed with her. When she got off communication with him, he began stalking her, eventually coming to her home. Her father shot and killed the young man after he fired a shotgun through their front door. Ava felt that the good of her social media interaction outweighed the bad. The good primarily being that she gets a thrill every morning at the amount of likes on her latest video. Even though the bad was an obsessed young man attacking their daughter, Ava's parents allowed her to continue her TikTok account and build her brand. The secular commentator relating the story finished with this. Parents need to be looking down the road for their children from a vantage point inaccessible to the child. It seems gross and negligent on the part of Ava's parents to allow her to continue, but compared to other parents who allow their children to pursue fame on social media, they are worse only by degrees not by kind. So it's the same kind of negligence. It's the same kind of lack of foresight that Ava's parents had to allow your child to spend more time on social media than they ought to, to allow them to do things on social media that they shouldn't do. Because social media is a platform that makes you famous. And you can, or at least a measure of fame, because you can become known by people who don't know you Except the problem is that you may not have the discipline to know how to handle the negative side of that fame, or your child may not have that discipline. One person compared fame on social media to that of being a lottery winner. The fame can be acquired with no discipline and those who achieve it do not know how to handle its negative side. A lot of times lottery winners are destroyed by their wealth and they don't, have the, they don't have the discipline of understanding what it took to accomplish their position. And the same thing happens when someone becomes famous on social media. And you might say, well, we don't have people that are famous on social media. And, and I agree that there's some truth to that. But there is a social status that can be promoted by an individual on social media that is an element of fame and if you have a positive experience on social media you will feel pressure to maintain that status and that in some senses is a response to becoming famous not hugely famous like Ava But on the other hand, there are those who seek fame, but whose lives seem to never match up with what they see of others on social media. So this is the the reverse of what happens when people are seeking fame on social media and don't get it. They get gripped by a sense of desperation that somehow they don't measure up, that their life is a failure. There is currently an epidemic of 12 to 14-year-old girls attempting to commit suicide in our country. It's having an effect. And that's why these secular people are looking into this so much because they want to understand why these girls are trying to commit suicide. And the reason is because these girls are looking at what's happening online on their social media accounts, and as they're looking online, they're seeing all these glamorous things that are happening, and they're saying, my life's a failure. I'd be better off not to live than to be this far out of it. And they kill themselves. And no, we don't have a lot of young ladies slitting their wrists. Praise the Lord. But we are not immune to that effect, that same effect. We need to be alert. So now I want to switch just a little bit. i want to talk about the psychology that's driving a lot of the media, a lot of social media and tech media. What I mean by that is, what are the people thinking that are actually running these big platforms like Google, Facebook, Instagram, and all of that? What are they thinking? Well, the first thing they're thinking is about money. And they make that money by selling ads. And so, if you had a product to sell, and you wanted to get that product to the people who would buy, then you would want to put it in front of the people who have interest in that product. Well, these platforms have a way of doing that. They collect your data. When you're online, they're collecting your data through artificial intelligence. And as they collect your data through artificial intelligence, they're compiling it for you specifically, and then they're directing content back to you in the, in the avenue that you are using, that you are showing your interest to be by what you're pursuing. And so they're gathering all this data And as they're gathering all this data, they're sending you ads in relation to the things that you're looking at. But they're doing more than that. They're also sending other content to you. Because, see, their money is made by you staying online. So they want to feed your interest. So they're constantly trying to feed your interest, plus they're trying to sell you things. And so they're feeding you content and they're feeding you ads. Both. Specifically directed for your usage. So, is that a big deal? Well, there's two leading causes or two leading things that they're aiming at. One of those things is polarization and the other thing is addiction and I'll tell you why later. But the key is that they're feeding our consumption. They're trying to feed our consumption. They're trying to get us to consume. What does that mean? Well. Consumption and development are two different things. You can consume and not properly develop. And so you need to consume in a balanced way so that you develop in a balanced way. I'll give you an example of that that I think you can understand. This is another form of technology. Refined sugar. Refined sugar is a technology. Some of the world doesn't have refined sugar. We've only had refined sugar for... A little while. 150 years ago where did we get sugar? I mean, molasses. molasses, good. Right. Honey, that's good. Right, yep, that's the first thing he said back at McDowell. <laughs> fruit, there's sugar in fruit, right? But 150 years ago, you didn't go down to the store and buy as much fruit or as much sugar, as much honey, or as much molasses as you wanted. Some of that stuff was available on the basis of how much was growing in your community, and you couldn't grow all of it in your community because you were busy growing other things to survive. And so you went out into the woods, or you planted a tree, and you waited till that tree grew, and then you got the fruit that came off of that tree. But you see, we figured out how to extract sugar out of that stuff cheaply, and be able to have it on every one of our kitchen cabinets and we can take as much of that, we can dip as much of that as we choose out of that sugar bowl and put it as much as we like into that, those ingredients and have as sweet of a recipe as we want to have or as sweet of a product as we want to have. Well you say, well that's good, right? The leading cause of death, one of the leading causes of death in the developed world is obesity. You see, technologies have consequences. And the thing about it is that it's not just that you don't develop properly when you get on a sugar binge. The problem is that you can't develop properly when you're eating too much sugar. It's impossible for you to develop properly. And so when when we break that cycle, God intended... For us, when, when God created the world and, and he placed us in the world, we had to go and gather fruit and we got other nutrients along with those sugars. And we also got exercise, going to, to pick and to, to harvest these different things. And so what we've done is we have extracted the reward from the discipline and exercise that it took to get that reward. Because sugar is a reward. It, it feeds a reward circuit in your body. And, and we've extracted that and made it possible to have the reward without the discipline and exercise. And so, we don't let our children have too much sweets because we don't want them to develop improperly. We want to, them to grow up, to be strong and healthy. So the problem is development. Well, YouTube is this to real experience. Porn is this to sexuality. Social media is this to relationships. Online shopping is this to exploration and discovery. These are not things that come from a Christian perspective. These are things that come from a secular perspective. And they call these these consumption um, appetites that we have like for sugar, like for um, YouTube and porn and social media and online shopping, they call them our lower nature because they're consumption-based aspects of our nature. They're not development aspects. The higher nature of development, and they're thinking mainly intellectually and um, educationally, are not the developmental side, the higher nature. So, what are they doing? Let me, get, let me come back now to the whole idea of polarization and addiction. So by feeding you the things that they want you to have, or that you want, by feeding you the, the ads and the material that you want, they are actually short-circuiting your reward system. Because things that are addicting and things that are polarizing give you a dopamine hit. So that is a signal to your brain that you're being rewarded when you get a dopamine hit. And they can use polarization, things that are polarizing and things that are addicting to give you that dopamine hit and to keep you coming back. Like to keep you coming back to the cookie jar, which I was doing today. I ate like three or four cookies in a row. They were good. They were sweet. And then I wonder why I can't get this 10 pound belt off that I've been carrying around for the last couple years. But what happens then is your circuit, your system breaks down. Your circuit gets broken. And you can't develop properly. And it's not you can't, you don't, it's that you can't. I really want you to get the difference there. When you are feeding your addictions, when you're feeding yourself to get that dopamine hit, you cannot develop properly in your mind. It's going to have long-term consequences if you go down that road. Here's another thing that happens. So as they, as they send you content... They, there is no way that they can send you exactly what you want. So let's say that you like something right here, and so you research this. So they're going to feed you a group of things that are in, somewhat in line with this, but there's going to be some on both sides. And you see something that's attractive that's over here, so you jump to that. So then they feed you another group of things. Well, here's something else. You see what I'm happening? I'm moving to the right. Now, if you're a Republican, that's what you want. But if you're over here and you're a Democrat, now do you, I just gave you the formula for why we are experiencing so much polarization in the political world in our country today. Because people who are Democrat and Republican are being fed and continually move towards the radical side of their position, which puts them at opposite poles. That's what polarization is. And so we're having a dramatic movement of the right away from the left, and left away from the right, and it's creating a huge chasm in between. Now, as followers of Jesus, your kingdom is not of this world, so you're neither Democrat or Republican. I'm going to get that straight before I leave. But your online consumption will take you to more and more radical positions along your viewpoint. And if you don't believe that, if you're a technology user, think back over the last couple of years and think about the amount of links that you received from various people over the past couple of years oh this is such a good article about this or this is such a good article about this those are ways that polarization happens people see an article they think is really good that supports their viewpoint and they shoot it out there and then that opens up the door and we get actually pulled apart as people here's one of the reasons why as well and this is an important one It's easier to agree with an online community that, it's easier to join yourself to an online community that you agree with than to deal with the people that you rub shoulders with day by day who may not hold the same views that you do. And meaningful relationships are not made where there's no accountability. Meaningful relationships happen where there is accountability and where we actually have to work with and against each other to deepen who we are as people. And so when you align yourself in a shallow relation with a group of people who you can hold a shallow relationship with and they agree with you and distance yourself from the people who are close to you in proximity, then all you're doing is separating yourself from the ability to develop. And you will never have a meaningful, a really meaningful relationship with someone through the internet. I'm gonna come back to some of those ideas in just a little bit. I wanna talk about some specific apps and things that are available right now and some some of the things that are behind them and some of their effects. TikTok and Snapchat. These two um, social media platforms are designed around sensuality and fame. TikTok is probably the greater evil of the two. Um, It's especially centered around the promotion of personal image. And a lot of the people on there who are trying to promote their personal image are doing it through things like dancing and undressing. And so if you get heavily involved with TikTok outside of conservative circles, you're going to see lots and lots of immodesty um, and worse. Snapchat, um, I've been told, I don't know if this is true, I've been told it was originally designed for sexting. And I know there are people in our circles who use it, and I think use it responsibly, And with time, some of that content can be pushed away. If you keep your content good, you can push away some of that bad content. But here's the question that I have for you in relation to that. How much sensual content should you have to muck through to be able to use something? Especially when there's better options Maybe not in convenience, but better options in quality that you can use. And so I would highly recommend that you just ditch both of those and find something else, some other communication form to use with your friends. Twitter, I don't know how many conservative people are on Twitter, but Twitter is an insult playground. It's a huge driver in polarization, and Elon Musk bought it for that very reason. Because of the effect that it has in our country, and the fact that he wanted to keep more right-wing uh, opinions available on Twitter, don't have a lot to say about Twitter. I haven't used it myself. Instagram has taken a severe downward turn in the past five years. It is increasingly laden with the thing called porn bots. It is a its links that are put up on people's page people's page that is that are. Um, blog site pages and they can form these blog site pages and they can put any content that they want on those pages. So they can put uh, pornographic content on those blog site links on their Instagram account. They will not be filtered by your device because they are a blog which is a social site not a pornographic site. And so you can go through Instagram into Essential Content just, and I don't spend, I don't have an Instagram account. I know it's possible. I don't know how much it is, but people are telling me that that's some of what is happening on Instagram. And it's been just increasingly much in the last five years, just a lot of it in the last five years. And the problem is that even if if one link does get enough data feedback that they block it, the person that's all the person has to do is create another blog site address and they're off again same content facebook is a great place to spend hours looking at people and things with whom you have no real connection their video content is largely essential and the content posted by the majority of people key who do not share our faith and practice is patriotic and sensual I have a Facebook account. I use Facebook Marketplace some. But the time that you spend with Facebook friends is time that you don't spend with family and friends. This is the recommendation that I gave my congregation at Mabel. I highly recommend that you limit your social media use to those with whom you have meaningful relationships. If you cannot limit yourself to these, delete your account. Use, if you use social media, use it to build your good relationships. Don't use it to just throw away your time and throw away your relational capacity. I'll talk more about that in a little bit. One other social platform that I really like. is WhatsApp. I really like it for messaging and I have I have done this before and so I'm not judging anyone but I want to give you something to think about in relation to WhatsApp. It's this little thing called status. WhatsApp status. The value of a memory is kept when you keep the memory between you and the person with whom you experienced it. That's how we operate as human beings. When value is contained, it's higher. When value is spread out, it's decreased. There are things that are fine to to post on your status. A beautiful sunrise can be an encouragement to me. But just remember when you're posting that precious moment that you had with your son or daughter or family member, husband, wife, whatever, that you are not particularly making the moment more precious by sending it to everybody in the world or everybody in your contacts. Just something for you to think about and keep in the back of your mind. YouTube is the second largest search engine on the Internet. That came as a surprise to me. But it shouldn't have because advertisements and everything are going to video. And it should be no surprise to us for this reason too because God intended for us to interact with the world through video. Is that a surprise? Your eyes are the camera. Your mind is the screen. But there's a big difference between YouTube and and your personal experience. Let's just say that I put a GoPro on my head for the next two weeks and I recorded video and I posted it up to YouTube every minute of my day all the way through for the next two weeks. How many of you would have the patience to watch that video from end to end? None of you. Maybe you might watch a few minutes of the exciting things that I did after the YouTube editor had picked out and said, these are the highlights of this video. What's my point? My point is that when YouTube becomes your regular diet, it gives you the impression that life should be fast-paced, exciting, and at the end of the day, you look at your own life and you say, boy, my life is dull. So what do I need to do? I need to go back and watch another YouTube video so I can get my life exciting again. But the way we work is that when you're trying to get your life to be exciting, you've got to continue to increase the excitement. And so you've got to continue to up the ante on what an exciting video is. There's another problem, too. It's an information bypass for reading and discussion. We read and discuss on a logical level. We watch video on an emotional level. So when you're watching a video, you are more affected emotionally. When you read a book, you're more affected logically. How do we want to interact with the real world? Do we want to interact with the real world factually and logically, or do we want to act with the world emotionally? Things you need to be aware of. I'm not going to read it, but Our Rules and Discipline has a position on video and technological use on page 34. It says that legitimate uses are business and instruction. And I want to challenge you that unless you are intentional, intentional and discipline yourself to meet or exceed that standard, you will be negatively affected by video. and especially young children. Do not, please, do not use video as a babysitter. It is a very bad idea. Your child will not develop properly if you use video as a babysitter. Action computer games are another thing that have a very similar result on young children. I'm not talking about playing Scrabble or something like that on your phone. I'm talking about action-type games. The intake of information is mind-forming, and all this stuff is information intake. But podcasts are another form of information intake, and I just want you to think a little bit about what your podcast sources are. Do the podcasts that you listen to have a strong factual support? Are they true? Are the sources good? Do they provide you with something that you can actually learn from? There's two different kinds of listening. So I listened to a novel recently. And as I was listening to that novel, it was very relaxing. It was easy to do. I, was, I could just sit back and listen. And then I switched to a book that was about intellectual and sociological type things. And the difference in the way that it forced me to listen was dramatic. It was much easier to listen to the novel because all I had to do was consume. But as soon as I started listening to the other book, I had to engage myself, engage my mind, think about what I was listening, and think about how it affected my life. So, what are you doing with podcast-related stuff? Are you using it to build yourself? Are you not just allowing yourself to be swept away in a world of consumption? Are your sources reliable faith-wise as well, especially this and for young people? I'm convinced that if i had not spent around 8 years reading almost nothing but the bible that i would be pulled away by some of the things that i hear today and i especially think about it with my work with billboard evangelism there are some extremely smart people that call me people that are way smart call that are way smarter than me and and know so much more than i do scientists and doctors and They know all these facts and information. And what do I have to stand on besides faith in Jesus Christ and a knowledge of what He has done in my life? And if that would not be strong, I could be pulled away by that information. I'd like to wrap this up just a little bit. So God put these things in place in our lives, these reward circuits, these these systems that our minds, our bodies and minds operate on for a reason. Because he wanted you as an individual to develop to your fullest potential. He wanted you to grow up in him. I want you to think about this as two lives. You have a limited capacity as a human being. You have a limited capacity for relationship and you have a limited capacity of time, amount of time. And so in your lifespan, you're going to have an opportunity to fill up a certain amount of your life with something. I want to use this, these two containers hold almost the exact same amount of product. But this right here is a person whose cycle has been broken. They build a blocker between themselves and the deepest part of their being. When you allow yourself to get caught up in any kind of an addictive cycle, you automatically cut off or shut off the what was meant to take you to the deepest part of your being, the relational and spiritual nature of your being or the deepest part of who you are. And you have to develop yourself consciously in disciplined manner to be able to fill up that deep part of your being. And when you try to fill that by taking the sweets from every corner, instead of filling that up, you create a blocker there and your life starts to go out. And the farther it goes out, the the deeper longing you have within to, to fill up that deep spiritual need that you have. And so the more desperately you reach out and out and out, but you only have a limited capacity. So the farther out you go, the shallower you get as an individual. The broadest people will be the shallowest. You only have a limited amount of capacity. The only way to resolve that is to break through that addictive cycle. It's the only way to resolve it. This is narrower. And so you're going to have to I started out at the beginning talking about that you have to discipline yourself to follow Jesus. You have to discipline yourself to walk with Him. And that means that you're going to actually restrict. You're going to restrict the amount that you're spread out. You're going to say, I am going to focus on a group of people that are meaningful in my life. And I'm going to use my interaction with them to build who I am as an individual and to deepen my relationship with Jesus Christ. And unless we are willing individually to restrict ourselves and discipline ourselves to follow Jesus, we will never find the satisfaction, the deepest part of our being that we all long for. I've talked tonight about a bunch of things that the rules and discipline doesn't say specifically you can or can't do. So who's going to decide if you decide and you make choices that affect you, your family, your children in a positive way, then we're going to move forward as a church in victory. But if you don't choose to do that individually, collectively, we're going to start to see that we have a problem and we're going to have to do something about it. So what are we going to do? We can put more guidelines in place. We can put more starting points in place. But if we're not willing to follow the starting points we have now, what good are more starting points going to do? See, we've got to be serious about following the starting points that we have now. If we're violating the ethics of truth, it is simply an indication that we are not spiritually developed people. We should be, we know, we know this book. We know this book as well as any group of Christians in this country. I can say that with a fair amount of confidence. Are we doing what we know we ought to do? Are we living by what this book tells us to do? I want to finish up where Jay started. We can look at the dangers in the world around us and we can get all overwhelmed and, and, and beat down and be afraid that we can't do this on our own. But the main thing that we need to do is have a revival of the two greatest commandments. If we had a real revival of the two greatest commandments, a lot of these things would fade because we would be pushing them out of our lives without, without the church even having to say anything. if we would throw our lives into developing deep relationships with God and those around us. So may God help us all to do that because the way of the cross is not an easy road, but the Savior is with us. Give it back. yep. you have any questions?